All right, we are live, uh, midday, RTD Live Talk, uh, Q&A type of session. And so I appreciate, I have two gentlemen that I respect in this educational realm. I have in the middle, Mr. Lawrence Lepard, investment manager out of the New England area. And then we have author, economist, and professor, uh, John B. Hearn from the UK joining us. And so, gentlemen, how are we doing this afternoon and evening for you, John? It's well. been, an, been an exciting day today uh, <laughs> with all things changing in the UK. But, uh, yeah, oh, well. You, Mr. Lawrence? Yeah, I'm doing fine. Um, obviously, a lot of uh, a challenging environment. Yeah, very challenging. And so today, what I wanted to do was basically connect with two gentlemen I follow and uh, and respect your opinion as to where we're at, where we're going, and what's going on now. And so let's start off, uh, give you, uh, Lawrence, a second to share your thoughts on whatever it is real quickly. And then as well as more people log in, uh, we'll get some questions and I'll throw questions at you guys and have you share your thoughts and go from there. So uh, just kick it off with what you guys want to touch on first. Okay, so I'll just start briefly. So this is the fourth turning. We're now in the crisis stage of the fourth turning. Howard Strauss is the book who wrote, uh, explain what that is. Um, this, is a, this is a very big and sad event. Uh, and yet it was inevitable given the way the system is set up. Um, you know, the prior fourth turnings, I mean, compare this to, you know, shots fired at Lexington and Concord or shots fired at Fort Sumter or, you know, the Japanese bomb Pearl Harbor. I mean, this is a, this is a big deal. Uh, sadly and unfortunately, uh, the medical side of it's a big deal, but the medical side will subside. We, the, the virus will burn out. It's obviously very dangerous. Uh, however, it's it's not a forever condition, so that will burn itself out. Um, obviously, with some sad loss of life, and you know, if people are feeling upset and sad right now, they're not alone. We all are. It's a this is a tragedy, mm -hmm. uh, and yet you know, uh, humans can rise to the occasion in tragedies, and there are ways to to deal with this. Um, you know, it's it's also an opportunity to to shine and and to show what badasses we can be in bad times. Um, the economic side of it, um, I think it's very comparable to 1929. Um, you know, a, a, an enormous bubble was blown uh, in all assets, uh, debt, equity, et cetera. And that was blown as a result of the central banks in the world keeping interest rates at artificially low levels for a long period of time, which led to overinvestment, malinvestment, and a, and a, and a crazy credit cycle that just burst. Uh, obviously, the the virus is what burst it. None of us could foresee that, but it was going to burst one way or the other. Uh, if it wouldn't, it wasn't the virus, it would have been something else. And so I, I reckon that the virus was the snowflake that started the avalanche. Mm -hmm. And you can't put the avalanche back. And so there are a lot of implications that fall out of that. But I think before this is all over, you know, bonds are going to be worthless. Equities are going to be down in real terms a great amount. And the surviving investment class, as you, as I've told you in the past, as you guys know in my estimation, is gold and silver and gold and silver miners. So that's kind of how I see it. Good deal. Good deal. John, Mr. John, how, what are your thoughts and what are your experiences thus far over in the UK area? Well, good to hear the Austrian in you, Lawrence. Um, yeah, for sure. As far as uh, the last global financial crisis is concerned, we set ourselves up through uh, 2000 with bad regulations, securitization of assets, all the problems that were set up in the US. And we had a global financial crisis. The reaction to the global financial crisis was wrong. Uh, interest rates shouldn't have gone down. Governments shouldn't have started overspending. So there was just 
fiscal profligacy, low interest rates, distortions in markets, and we set ourselves up for another crisis. And this crisis could have come under many names. Uh, well, we, I suppose we got a perfect storm, didn't we? Putin and Saudi Arabia. We got China and Trump. Uh, and then the coronavirus just tipped us over. So the coronavirus is just that trigger event. It's not the cause of this crisis. It's the trigger event. And we're resetting at what will be lower levels, bubbles of bursts. Um, high dividends uh, kept us running for a time compared with savings rates. But as soon as capital values start to fall, then everyone runs to the hills uh, and you, you, you've got a big collapse in equity markets, in asset markets. And unfortunately, we have, again, the wrong solutions to that. We've got attempts to lower interest rates further, which is another mistake. We've got lots of money being thrown in many different ways by government. And there's only three ways to finance that government uh, spending. One is higher taxation. There's no chance of that under current circumstances. It's encouraging people to lend their money to government so that they don't spend it and government does. That won't happen either. So there is only one third alternative. That is money will be printed uh, and inflation will take off and inflation will start probably within the year, uh, perhaps 12 to 18 months. But you've got to because inf inflation is going to pay for all of the things that government are promising to do now. There's no other way uh, other than uh, um, printing money. Now, in your opinion, gentlemen, is, is this the monetary reset occurring now? Is like so as a result, everyone's doing the same. All responses are the same. And the Federal Reserve happens to be stabilizing and attempting to flood the world with dollars so everybody can, you know, make, make good on, on the currency pegs and exchanges or whatnot. So will the, will, when this blows through, will this result in what we would consider a reset? This is Sorry, Lawrence. Just no, you go on. first. I, I completely agree with what you said so far. You mentioned 1929, and uh, it is very interesting because in 1929, the bubble burst, uh, and the Federal Reserve then, which had only been going, what, since 1913, made another big mistake by stopping supporting uh, the currency, and it allowed the currency to collapse, and you had the deflation, the Great Depression. Uh, we may well get a Great Depression now, but it won't be with deflation. It'll actually be with inflation, the very opposite. So central banks know that uh, they don't want deflation. That's why they're pumping money into the markets, and that uh, money going into the markets will be an inflation this time. So uh, although there are great similarities when you look at the 1929 collapse and now, the outcome will be different. The outcome now will be inflation, whereas the outcome then was deflation. Your turn, I, I completely agree with Professor Hearn and everything he's just said. Um, they can't they can't stop printing money, and the money that's gotten destroyed, the hole in the economy is so large that, in my opinion, they will not just print money, but they will print uh, so much money that they go the other direction and will have hyperinflation. Inflation mm. will start off, and then it'll become worse and worse. And the you know the bond market will start to collapse. People will realize when they're the worst investment in this climate is going to be bonds, right? I mean, stocks are going to go down, but ultimately, in the end, stocks might hold some of their value because on the reset, on the other side, you'll still own a piece of a company. I mean, the people who own Mercedes-Benz in Germany in the 20s or Siemens, you know, they reset on the other side. Their stock had value. Bondholders are totally wiped out, and people need to understand what happens here. As the bonds, as inflation picks up, bondholders say, oh, this isn't good. I don't want to hold a bond. I'm going to sell it. And there's not going to be any buyer. No one else is going to want to sell it or buy it. And so the interest rates are going to go up. 
And so the natural buyer is going to be the government. And the government said, okay, well, we can't have interest rates go up. We're going to buy that bond. Well, with what money? With money that they print. And so their balance sheet grows. And then it's it's a doom loop, right? I mean, they they see that that they're printing, we see they're printing money and that's causing inflation. And um, so we sell our bonds to them. So they print more money and that causes more inflation. And it just it it snowballs upon itself to eventually the point where everyone says, I don't want this money because it's not buying me anything and it's it's gonna become worthless. And the classical British uh, you know, economist who discovered this is a guy named Gresham, and this is just Gresham's law. You know, the good money drives out the bad. People realize that they're never going to be able to stop printing money. They're going to have to try and fill these holes with printed money. It's really the only tool that government has. It's like, you know, they have a hammer. Everything looks like a nail. And so as they print the money, the dollar becomes currencies become more and more worthless. And the 5000 year old currency called gold holds its purchasing power. And eventually the end point of this is a reset. And I'm actually of the opinion it's going to happen pretty quickly. I think the thing is so geared, so levered. We've got the internet, everything, you know, the time frames are shorter in today's world. I mean, this collapse, frankly, it stunned me how violent and quick this thing has been. I mean, people are, my head's spinning, everybody's head spinning. And yeah. so I think this could all be over by the end of the year. Uh, now, go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, no, so let me ask you a question. So as far as you said, equities being products or financial instruments that might do well now would it would they still have the same level of value if if the federal if the government purchased them as if it looks like all corporations are about to be bought out and owned by the government you want to take that one john or want me to? I, uh, go ahead yeah I'll go for it lawrence first okay so so i think the equities will um they will maintain some value you think what is an equity it's a share ownership in a business that does something that has value and, and can earn a profit and i mean the good thing about one of these financial collapses as opposed to you know um i mean when when germany rolled through holland is that you know people aren't getting killed and the and the assets aren't getting destroyed it's just the currency that's getting destroyed mm -hmm. and if you actually look at the weimar germany case it, it blew up in in november of 23 the the, the reichsmark was worthless and a guy came in named Shocked, and he totally reset it. So this is the new, this is the new Deutschmark, and we're backing it with land and gold. And very quickly, people, you know, I tested him, but very quickly, people believed in it. All the assets were still there. They got the economy going again. Now they were so pissed off that, you know, seven years later they voted for Hitler. But that that's a different problem. Um, you know, you can you can reset a currency. And so I think when this currency collapses, what will happen is they'll realize, oh my God, there's the only way we can get anybody to trust anything is to have a new dollar or a new something or a new currency of some kind, and it's gonna be gold backed. And um, and and so you can exchange it for gold at any point in time, we're not gonna overprint it. And and then we'll start building up again. And all the companies that did what they did, they'll get restarted and you know people will make cars and car companies will have profits. And so car equities will, will increase in value. Don't get me wrong, between here and there, there's gonna be a lot of equity value destruction. So, you know, I mean, all I'm suggesting is that an equity might make it to the other side, whereas I'm quite sure a bond will not make it to the other side. So anybody who's holding bonds, in my opinion, should sell them all immediately because the bond market, the equity market to me is the first sign of what's about to happen. And the next market to blow up is going to be the, the bond market. Lawrence, yeah, I mean, the important, the important thing with the equity market is it does have value uh, and right. there are companies out there doing things and if you're looking at the moment for low geared companies uh, which are sound 
uh, have a record of paying, I mean, some of them now you're looking at them paying dividends of around 20%. So it, there is some bottom fishing in there uh, at the moment with uh, equity prices as they are. But the inflation, interesting, I don't think it'll be hyperinflation uh, because central banks do actually know what causes inflation. They won't admit to us what causes inflation, but they know uh, a little bit about what they're doing. And I don't think they're going to get carried away uh, to hyperinflation. You're talking about uh, the currency falling apart with prices going up at hundreds of percent uh, a month and then thousands of percent and the currency collapses. I don't think that will happen, but I can see uh, the possibility of inflation getting up to 10, 20, 30 percent. Now, that happened in the UK in the 70s, uh, and the central bank talked its way through that by explaining that uh, these were cost push factors, there were oil prices, there were wages going up, uh, all incorrect. The only thing that was causing this was the Bank of England, but they deflected attention away from themselves. I don't think they'll be able to do that now because there's more awareness of the fact that central banks are the real cause of inflation. Cost push factors don't cause inflation at all. Uh, higher oil prices don't cause inflation. Uh, falling currencies don't cause yeah, inflation. I mean, they let me reflect on the 1970s example, John. I mean, you're right. Uh, they managed to put it back in the bottle then. And, you know, the U.S. dollar was the reserve currency. So that's really the one you look to as to how they got it back in the bottle. And they got it back in the bottle because Paul Volcker took interest rates up to 20 percent and created an enormous positive real rate. You know, imagine right. interest rates at 20 percent in the United States today. Everyone would go bankrupt. And so. I just don't see, I mean, it, to me, it's just math. I just don't see any other solution other than the currency getting wiped out. And I'm not, you know, I'm not, I, I often, I've been, I felt this way for some time now. Alistair McLeod, who's also over in Britain, uh, feels the same way. And others in, in the hard money camp feel the same way. And, uh, you know, I'm not happy about reporting this news. And I, and I, I, for a long time now, I feel like I'm the messenger who's gotten shot. But, I just, I'm just, I'm doing the analysis. If you think it through, you know, it, it's, it's going to happen. And I, I, I wish it weren't, but it is. And so, you know, we're all just individuals, you know, I'm not, I'm not uh, Powell, you know, I, I'm not, uh, you know, running the Federal Reserve. And so, um, and I, I don't think they have a, you know, they, they can't, you, you're correct. I mean, they, when you made the list of things they could do, they could tax more and balance the budget. Of course, we're going the opposite direction on that. They could theoretically raise inflation. We know, or interest rates. We know what that would bring. You know, everyone would go bankrupt. I don't think they have any choice, and I think the market will do it for them. I think there's been a fatal conceit that the central banks have made, which is that they're bigger than the markets. And I think that you know, I don't think they are. I think, I think and I, you know, they th th that conceit worked for quite some time, but I think we're in the process of watching it evaporate. You're quite no. right. Sorry, what should have happened between? the last global financial crisis and this is that interest rates should have been set uh, at market rates. Yes. Uh, yes. Governments should, yes. should be overspending. They should yes. have been moving, balancing their budgets. All of those things would have allowed them to ride this storm a little bit better. Exactly. They have, they have no ammunition at all at the yeah, moment. Exactly. I mean, uh, it's, it, they can do. it's terribly sad because 2008 was the warning sign and I, I was doing this then as well, and I, I thought I thought that was it, and yet they, you know, it, that was a bubble up. It's in the United States in the housing area, um, which you know, by the way, was blown by them, and 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 it was blown by them as a solution to the popping of the dot com bubble in two thousand. And so I, I think people are beginning to see that these central banks are just bubble machines, mm -hmm. 
and and bubbles are destructive. I mean, if you were, you know, if you if you bought, I mean, my sister bought a house in California at the peak of the bubble in 2008, and you know, she, I mean, more or less had it repossessed. I mean, because you know the collapse in, in in housing prices. I mean, it, you know, a lot of people get hurt in these things, and so the people who are running, you know, these these organizations like the Federal Reserve, I mean. This is all part of a, a, a grander part of the of the fourth turning. I mean, we just discovered that, you know, senators are hearing about the coronavirus in advance and they're dumping all their stocks. I mean, you know, people around the world are going to revolt against the central governments that are that are abusing us. I mean, wait until everybody's stock portfolio is down hugely, inflation is raging, and um, um, you know, there, there doesn't appear to be a solution to it. And what you're going to see is you're going to finally see some reform-oriented politicians get elected, and they're going to come in. They're going to clean this place up. They're going to throw all these guys out. Um, and there was, you know, in the United States, there was an attempt to do that. And actually, in in, in Britain, there was an attempt to do that. Although I would argue, at least in the U.S. case, I would argue the the attempt door is a little bit flawed. But um, you know, that's just my opinion, and others have different opinions on that. So. Um, yeah. One of the one of the things I want to mention is that uh, as as we are talking this through, right now behind the scenes, especially over here, I'm hearing about in the UK about uh, the military and everyone's for the most part being forced to self quarantine. So they're introducing concepts such as social distancing and all types of other things, which will further divide the people. And so here in America, especially, there's a two week time window that we're encouraged to stay home. And on the conspiracy side of me, it's like, okay, what what's going to happen within that two week period, and then what would the world look like after that two week period? And so, let's talk a little bit about that. What do you guys think is is going on? Because whatever's rolled out usually is never drawn back in. Like TSA now, it's been twenty years of fighting the war on terror, and I haven't seen any, any terrorist activity in quite some time in the U.S. But the TSA is still around, and I'd imagine whatever else is going to come out of this. What do you guys think? Go ahead, John. I don't know enough about the coronavirus to sort of speak as a scientist. Uh, I'm always a little bit worried about scientists uh, when I listen to them uh, on climate change, uh, that uh, they may not have things right. And with the coronavirus, I'm not sure whether it's something that we should have been uh, uh, letting run its course rather than uh, what seem to be very draconian things going on at the moment. But yes, the ideas of uh, social distance, the idea of... Uh, uh, staying at home for one week, two weeks, three weeks, uh, schools closing. It is all a little bit worrying and alerting the uh, the armed forces to carry things around and do real jobs, which is fine. But then you wonder whether they'll be walking around the streets saying, no, you shouldn't be walking around the streets and putting you back in your houses. So it is a worrying time. Um, and uh, I'm not quite sure where this one ends up because you can see in two weeks' time, no, we've still got to carry on being uh, distancing ourselves from other people, staying at home. Uh, my wife and I will probably be fighting by then, and uh, uh, I'll be out in the front garden. She'll be out in the back garden. Uh, we'll be shouting over the top of the house. I don't know. Um, but it, it is uh, uh, difficult times here, and I assume it's going to be the same in the U.S. And I, I don't know whether we're overreacting to all of this. I really don't. Yeah, I'm I'm no fan of the government. Um, that's that's pretty clear. Um, I'm not going to comment on what they're doing right now and you know the conspiracy. And I mean, there are people who say that these viruses aren't you know something that just jumped from an animal to human beings. And I don't know. That's that's it's possible that you know that they were planned. It's possible they weren't. I, I just don't know. Mm -hmm. um, you know what I do know based on having studied the virus is that 
the notion of actually social, I mean, first John, I think it's gonna be a lot more than two weeks, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's gonna be months, many months, unfortunately. But I, I do know, and, and I think we've got to balance, you know, freedom and, and you know, you gotta have people out there delivering food or else we're all gonna starve. So, you know, to, to shut the world down completely, um, you know, to, to eliminate a virus that kills one, one to three percent of the population, uh, you know, how many will die if we don't have any food? So, so there's got to be a balance. But I, I do know, I, I think the social distancing is, is damn important and a damn good idea because I know what exponential growth is. And if, to the degree we can contain it, you know, it's, it's funny. It's, it's almost like if we overreact, it won't be as bad. And if we underreact, it could actually be quite bad. So, you know, looking at the two, two alternatives, I lean toward the let's overreact and social distance and be super careful because the thing does burn itself out. I mean, if it if it gets into a host, a human being, the human being gets sick, the human being recovers, and that human being doesn't infect anybody else, that that version of it right then and there is gone. And mm-hmm. so when we get to the point where it's called the R-naught, when we get to the point where the R-naught is zero, i.e. each person you know who gets it does not infect anyone else, it eventually it will be gone. It's like you know Ebola breakouts happen, they, they, they isolate people, they let it burn through, mm-hmm. and then it's gone. And so that's what we ought to be aiming for, whatever it takes to get there with as little loss of life and, and as much maintaining freedom as possible. One thing I'll tell you that I think is interesting that you guys may not be aware of, there's a whole notion of dosing. Um, and so the, the virus is dangerous. It's, mm-hmm. it's proportionally dangerous to how fat, how much of it you get. Um, let me explain. If you're in the supermarket and the supermarket checkout girl has it and she breathes a little of it and you get just a touch of it into your body and it starts growing, the minute it starts growing, your body starts fighting it. And so it builds up over five or six days, but your body's response builds up over five or six days. By the time it starts to, you can feel it, you're fighting it. Mm-hmm. And you know, you fight it and you win. Your, your, your immune system gets, gets stronger than it's growing because you had a low dose in a, in a moderate environment. Um, the alternative to that is you're, you're, you're a doctor, you're working in a, in a, an emergency room, somebody comes in and they have it, they're full of it. They sneeze in your face and you got an enormous dose. Now, the minute you get the dose, your body starts fighting it. But in turn, the virus starts doubling every 24 hours inside your body. And so there's an important issue and and you got a chance of dying because your body didn't have a chance to fight the low dose before it became a big dose. And so, so there's an interesting thought here, which is we all, you know, I mean, look, I go out and shop, you know, I, I wash my hands. I mean, I, you know, I, I suspect there's a chance I might even be exposed to it, but if I get exposed to it in a low dose and it builds up and my body builds up an immunity at the same time, then I'm going to be okay. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll beat it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if, I mean, the, the people who are at greatest risk here and they're really the heroes in this whole thing are the healthcare workers because they're at risk of getting a very high dose and, you know, and it can overwhelm them and kill them. Yeah. Now, as, we, as we're talking uh, earlier today, I came across a video and I'm actually going to try to pull up on a screen and uh, and we we'll probably won't be able to get to the point where it's being mentioned. But um, here we have the uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci and Mark Zuckerberg um, having a over the air discussion. And as I was listening to this chat, what came out of this and what I gathered from this discussion here was that. The, the doctor is recommending and looking to find some type of universal vaccine that I guess everybody would be encouraged to take that would eliminate the virus of any nature, whether any strand, anything that comes out of the corona 
strand would be immune or would be people would be protected from this virus here. And so when I read this, I thought about a universal vaccine. Like I, I play into the fact that it looks like this is a part of a greater plan, of course, but yet to have us all vaccinated with this issue here is not something that I am for myself. Now, what do you guys think about this and the universal vaccine? This uh, this being kind of mentioned that during this little video here that you guys probably can't hear, but what do you guys thought about think about a universal vaccine as a result of this scare? Go ahead, Sean. There's not much I can say because I I just don't know enough about this, um, and I would have to leave this uh, to the experts. I mean, I wouldn't want to trivialize anything that yeah. they they say. I'm not sure, but I mean, I have my last day at the gym today. I think the gym will be closed tomorrow. And uh, I inadvertently sneezed when I went into the changing room and cleared the changing room. Um, it is, you know, very worrying for lots of people uh, if uh, people are, are going to catch this uh, um, exponentially. And I, I just don't know the answer. So I'll have to pass it over to you, Lawrence. Well, I, I don't either. I really don't. I mean, I think we can hope for a vaccine. I've, I've read a lot about this from various sources. Best I can tell is it's, there's no, I think Trump said there's going to be a vaccine very quickly. I don't think that's true. I think a vaccine is going to take nine months, a year, perhaps longer. I do know there have been some drugs that have been developed that appear to be helping people who have it. And that's a positive factor. Mm -hmm. um, I actually, through a friend, know somebody who does have it. And they, you know, they're young and strong. And to them, they said they've been sicker before. This is just a very bad flu. Mm -hmm. um, I think it affects every individual differently. Um, I, I don't think we know exactly what the death rate is. I mean, is it between one and 3% of the people who get it? Those are kind of the ranges I hear. And then the question becomes what percent of the people get it? You know, if we can hold the, the percentage of people who get it down to some meaningful, you know, low number, um, before it burns. I mean, the key, what we're going for here, folks, we want it to burn out. We got to get the spread to stop. We got to get the R naught to zero. We got to get, we got to, you know, and, and, and it's hard. I mean, you got to socially, you got to completely lock everything down and it stinks. But, you know, if it burns out, it's over. Um, and so, you know, that's that's the key uh, from, I think, from what I can see. Sorry, I think the interesting thing is when it has burnt out, what happens next? Because uh, are we going to get these politicians coming in and trying <laughs> to do the same thing again and again and again? And the problem that we do have, I mean, Lawrence hinted that we need perhaps a, a sort of new political landscape with people saying different things, is that it's very difficult to get that because you only want to vote for politicians who say, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. And how do they do it? They've got to spend, spend, spend. And if a politician stands up and says, look, I want to leave the free market to work. I'm not going to do something. I want to get out. I want to let markets uh, uh, move into equilibriums. I want market rates of interest. I want governments out of this. I want them balancing their budgets. Who votes for a person who says that? No one. They vote for the person who says, yes, I can solve every problem that there is. Uh, and we're still going to get the same afterwards unless we really start to understand how governments and economies work. You know, the only way to get an economy to grow is to have free market capitalism. That's the driving force of all of these things. But you're destroying that. Just more and more government intervention. Uh, and that's the worry, because you get to a point where governments are causing the problem. And the only way to deal with the problem is governments to do even more and mm. cause more problems. And so it goes on. We're almost moving ourselves towards a command economy by stealth, where government will do absolutely everything for us because they've created so many problems uh, that uh, we can't deal with any of them other than uh, hope government can deal with them for us.
Yeah. Possibly, possibly. I'm, I'm a little more optimistic. Um, I mean, I, I think, you know, I don't dispute that there are a lot of people who quote unquote don't get it. But um, I think that, you know, when, when, when the people who are running the show that have brought us to this place fail as spectacularly as they're about to fail, I, I sincerely think that, um, you know, and I, and I think, it, you know, I think, I think the average voter isn't, isn't all that smart, but they're not entirely dumb either. <laughs> and so when somebody who's very honest comes along and says, look, here's the good news, here's the bad news. Um, you know, if we do it this way, it's gonna be sound and fair the way it was in the 1900s, um, you know, early 1900s. Um, and we gotta set back the clock, get on a gold standard, you know, uh, do regulated free market capitalism. I think, I think raw free market capitalism, you know, with, with zero regulations, that's not good either. I mean, in my view, I think you need, you need a government that has, a, you need a referee to make sure the rules are fair. Mm -hmm. but, but beyond that, you know, the prices should be set by the market and, uh, you know, resources should be allocated by the market. And, um, and I think, you know, I, I think arguing against your side, John, is just that this government is so damn corrupt and so damn broken and everyone sees it. So that if we could, you know, unless we get a false prophet who talks about things like what you believe in, John, and what I believe in, and they're not real, you know, they're a, they're a Trojan horse for that, for the corrupt. Unless we get a false prophet, as an example, I mean, if, if we had a Ron, I don't know if you're familiar with the politician, and I said, it's a guy named Ron Paul, who's now retired, but I helped his political campaign years ago. I mean, if, if we got a guy like that who really understands what John and I are talking about um, and, and explains it to people, you know, after after all the pain and collapse that we were likely to go through here, I think that you know, I, at least in America anyway, I think that I think they might win. I think they might be embraced. I sure hope so, for my kids' sake. Yeah, me as well. Now I'm yeah. curious to get. Go ahead, go ahead, John. Go ahead, John. Uh, the problem that you've got is in America, you have the party in power, the Republican Party, who are supposed to be the enthusiasts for free market capitalism. In the UK, you've got the Tory party in power, the enthusiasts for free market capitalism. If they're not in power, who will be in power? The Democrats in America, the Labour Party in the UK. And the last thing they are for is free market capitalism. Uh, so that's the problem. If we had the Democrats and the Labour parties in power in both countries now, we could perhaps step away from that. But I, I can't see. I don't know. What yeah, but Lawrence, how do you feel about the Democrats being in power? Because the... Republicans have failed. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe they'll manage to blame it on the, the Republicans. But I, I think there's a large piece of America. I mean, because you, you see, America's got a large, large, large block of independent voters now. I think there's a very large part of America that's just fed up with both sides. Absolutely. I mean, completely and totally fed up. They know that both sides are hopelessly corrupt. And, you know, the, and so if somebody came along and said, all right, first thing is we're going to have term limits. Second thing, it was going to turn overturn Citizens United. Third thing is we're going to publicly fund campaigns so you can't raise money from rich people to get in, into your offices. You know, fourth thing is we're going to say when you come out of office, you can't work for anybody that you've been regulating. You've got to basically, you know, we'll give them a, a nice pension so that they're on some level. And then you got to you got to build your own business or something else. You can't go to work for a defense contractor. You know, I mean, there's, there's a list as long as my arm of things that if a politician in a third party were to stand up and say, this is what we need to do, folks, they would win in a landslide, in an absolute landslide. Don't, don't you think, Mike? 
Yeah, I do. I do agree because the majority of the younger population, they're not too in tune with with politics in general. So it's more so what can you offer me type of approach. And so when it's time to go out and vote, they listen to whoever is offering the most in the form of some type of bribe and then they get to vote. And unfortunately, in the African-American community, my whole my entire family grew up being Democratic just because that's just the way things were. Never mind the policies, never mind what they stand for. It's all about what they did or what they offered to do for the community. And so I want to transition into this next paradigm, what I call the new world paradigm, where as a result of the activities going on now, uh, the, the concept of work will be changed. And so with this universal basic, I call it a universal basic allowance because it's not income unless you earn it. But government's going to give out handouts. The job structure of getting up and going somewhere will change as well in this time period, because I believe robotics and AI and all that stuff will be rolled out within this next year to us, you know, efficiently. And so I think just humanity is going through a shift right now. And I want to transition a little bit into that and get your thoughts on that, because the concept of retirement, I think, will also change as well, because if you're not working, you're not earning, you can't save to retire. So what do you guys think about that? Just looking ahead a little bit. What you've got to do is to read the last article on my blog, uh, which is an explanation of how reverse income tax does all of the things that you want. A reverse income tax system would uh, remove many welfare benefits. It always gives people in people incentive to earn money. It could be used uh, as a pension. It, it would do everything. But the only reason that we don't think about it and don't introduce it is because so many people, so many civil servants and people in the establishment will be unnecessary because the whole system is just run through the tax side of the economy and there's no need for uh, many things which uh, we waste money on now. So have a go on the last article on my blog uh, if you want to know how to have a universal basic income based upon reverse income tax. All right, so I got you. Okay, go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead Lawrence. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, you know, that, that stuff is too far out for me. I mean, you know, robotics and not working. I mean, it's just, it's, um, I haven't considered that very much. I'm, I'm, I'm focused on getting through the next few years yeah. <laughs> in, terms of, uh, in terms of investment wise and, and political reform wise. Um, yeah, I, I, no doubt the world will look a lot different. I think there are, you know, there are a lot of very positive things that have occurred. I mean, you know, just the fact that we're having this internet conversation that many, many people can watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all the technological developments in the last 15, 20 years have just been stunning and, and in, in many ways can make the world a much better place. So, yeah. um, I, I, and I think I, am I'm, I'm very impressed. I mean, some people talk about kind of the spoiled millennials and maybe my kids are different or their group is different, but I'm very impressed by young people and how they, you know, unlike some of us boomers who were, it was just all about, you know, making money, uh, you know, they really care about the overall greater social good. And I think that's going to be a very important way of thinking um, going through this tough time. Yeah, the reason right, I'm... I mean, Go ahead, John. I, I would say many of my undergraduates are exactly that, setting themselves up in their own business, uh, working uh, uh, on great ideas. And the whole thing about what I was saying with reverse income tax, it brings government back to being very limited and minimal, and it releases the power of individuals to seek their fortunes uh, and... Uh, uh, and that's where all the new technologies, uh, all the new things will start to function. If you get government trying to encourage this, it won't work. You know, the standard rule yeah. about government something is you get the opposite every time. If they want inflation to go down, it goes up and so on. Yeah, John, let me jump in on that. I mean, look, this what we're going through here is really, really tough. And it's going to be really, really bad news. But 
here's the good news. The good news is government is going to be just completely discredited and it's going to fail. And that's why the whole notion that they're going to be able to overtake us. I mean, we've got them so outnumbered, right? And, you know, we've got a democratic tradition in both our countries. And so, I, you know, I think, you know, I wouldn't want to be in government. I, I really wouldn't. I, I think they're going to be disgraced and shunned and voted out and written into the history books as, you know, this was the Politburo before it collapsed. You know, look at this corruption. Look at these senators who, you know, got a briefing about the coronavirus and went out and sold their stock. You know, this is, I mean, this, I mean, you know, the, lucky for them, it isn't 1789 and we don't have guillotines, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean seriously, because yeah. that's, the kind of, that's the kind of behavior that we've seen from, you know, the wealthy in, in my country, the wealthy and the government people. I mean, the corruption is just, it's blatant. It's so blatant, you know, it, it, on both parties. Oh, you know, I'm not making any, you know, I'm not saying Democrats, I'm saying all of it, all these elites. And, yeah. you know, yeah. people can see it. And, you know, eventually people just go, you know, it's not raining, you're pissing on my leg. You know, yeah. screw you, I'm changing, I'm, you know, I'm gonna vote for somebody different. All right, now I, I think just the two party system itself as it is now, they're in the same. They're lying in the same bed, but opposed, but appearing to the public to have two different stances. Well, that's right. That's <laughs> right. I mean, it's there was a whole. You know, I mean, um, John would probably know this was the club and you know, Piven stand. Um, you know, the, the whole notion of you know, why don't you and he fight so we can loot the place, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, behind the scenes, the elites are looting the place, and you know, we got all that. We got the red team and the blue team. You know, throwing throwing rocks at one another, and you know, all the red team hates the blue team because they're liberal and. I mean, they're conservative and all the, you know, I mean, you know the deal. I mean, that's, it's, it's very convenient for them. But meanwhile, the people at the top, they're doing just fine. Thank you very much. You know, yeah. they're, they've got their, I mean, we've got senators who come in here, they're totally dead broke. And within 20 years, they're worth, you know, 20, 30, 40, $50 million. I mean, how does that happen if they're not just corrupt as all shit? Yeah. You know, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of back scratching and special interests. And then if they happen to get, if they happen to get voted out, then they're on somebody's board. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Six yeah. figures and seven figures. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and, and it's, it, it, it's at all levels. I mean, Ben Bernanke, who, you know, was our, who was, the, who was really, in my view, he's going to go down as, as the John Law of our times um, by, you know, started the money printing with his helicopter speech. You know, he's now a senior advisor to Citadel. I mean, Citadel almost failed this week. Citadel is the largest risk arm, you know, uh, risk parity uh, hedge fund in New York. A large part of what happened in the United States stock market in the last two weeks was the risk parity trade blowing up. And you can bet. That, that Ben Bernanke was in there begging, begging Trump and, you know, Mnuchin to figure out some way to get them money so that they didn't get totally destroyed. And I'm pretty sure that with the, the most recent thing that they did on Thursday night, and they were, you know, they were announcing things every six hours, and they came in with, a, with an announcement on Thursday night about, um, you know, another line of lending. And I'm, I'm guessing they didn't really say that much about it or where it would go, but I'll bet when we find out after the fact, that was money going to, to Millennium and um, and citadel because they were blowing up over the risk parity trade and you know what and, and so, so for citadel to pay ben bernanke millions of dollars to sit on their board that was a good investment on their part right yeah um, you, you got an inside connection to go straight to the president next time they need trouble and next time they have problems and exactly, everything's gonna be just exactly, fine exactly exactly and that kind of stuff needs to come out and be exposed so that the entire world sees it and understands it yeah. And, 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 and go ahead, John. Go ahead, John. What, what 
had, I mean, the same thing happened last time, didn't it? Because you had uh, Lehman failing because we, we're not, we're not going to support Lehman. But you had, uh, what, was it J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs converting? Right, well, no, it's Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs. We're going to turn you into bank holding companies and give you a ton of money. It's even worse than that. You know, it's even worse that we're going to create these big loan facilities to buy assets. And John Mack, who was running Morgan Stanley, his wife got a multi-million multi dollar loan to go out and buy troubled assets. And the government backed that loan. So here you are. You got a guy's wife, you know, making investments with money that she's given from the by the government. I mean, come on. Right after we bailed them out. And, of course, we bail them out. We don't put any conditions on them. And three months later, they're paying themselves record bonuses. I have a friend who's a lawyer. He said, he said, I would love to have been working for the government when those guys came begging because the price, you know, I mean, okay, fine. The financial system's going to blow. I mean, the, the story was, and I've, I've confronted them at a, at a seminar at HBS about this. The story was, if we don't do this stuff, the, the ATMs aren't going to work. It's going to be the end of the world as we know it. All right, fine. But you put us in this position and here's what we're going to, here's what we're going to do. Yeah, we're going to bail you out, but guess what? Everybody at the top, you, you all resign. And by the way, your last five years compensation, you all give it back. And, you know, we're putting in we're putting in new management, new boards, government oversight, the whole nine yards, because you guys just blew up our economy. We're not going to give you a blank check, bail you out and then let you let you keep. I mean, these guys went on to become billionaires. I mean, Lloyd Blankfein was broke in 2008. He's a billionaire today as a result of that bailout. Oh, and by the way, they brought all their friends in too. You know, oh, hey, Warren Buffett, you know, you can have a nice piece of the stock. You know, we're going to reinflate the system. Don't worry. Come in here. Put up some preferred stock. We need you to say some nice things about America. You know, and, and, and so so you end up making a killing too. Yeah. I mean, guys, this is an insider's game. Yeah. And we all pay for it. We now, all pay for now, it. The big question is, we like we like you know that I know that. How do we get on the inside? Like because the game's not going to change; it's going to get worse. And so no, 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 no. We don't. I don't want to get on the inside. No, 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 no. Okay, but no, 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 no. How, the the question is how do we educate enough people? Yeah. So that so that and and how do we how do we find a leader who understands mm -hmm. this deep deep in their bones and is honest and is willing to go fight this shit? Yeah, I don't. Because if that thing. person emerges, they're going to win in a landslide, right? Now, typically, if anybody rises up out of the ashes and pre presents themselves as a uh, a real agent of change, they may not make it. And so more than likely, everybody in that position will have to play ball with the big boys or you won't have a chance. And then my, my generation and younger, they, they're going to go for whoever promises the most. So, you know, it, it's, it'll be a hard fight where I don't think the younger generation have the balls to stand up to anybody. And, and bring about change, the real change that would be needed. And I was also joking when I say about being on the inside, because I was going to transition to gold and silver. So, yeah. Uh, I don't, go one, ahead, of the things, one of the things that Lawrence said earlier is very important, and that was the reference to a referee. What you want is governments to be referees. You don't want them to own players. You don't want mm -hmm. them to be on any sides in this. You want them to be sitting on the sidelines and making sure that everything is fair and there are level playing fields. Now, those are the problems that you've got, and it's going to be very difficult. As you said, Mike, it's a two-party system. It's a two-party system in both countries. If you take away the two-party system, you've got a big vacuum, and you're looking to who's going to fill that. Are you going to actually change the minds of one of those two parties to do the right thing, or is there someone out there who can step in the middle and, and deal with this vacuum? I'm not sure that there is in either country, but uh, we can keep our fingers crossed, can't we? Yeah, I think the education system has done a good job of dumbing down the masses to where 
majority of people don't really know the current freedoms we have. And that's why I think it's going to be it's going to be easier to be you know taken from us in this next decade, especially as a result of everybody cramming to whoever offers the best solutions for their pain. But I want to move on to gold and silver. And so right now, I'm not sure, John, in the UK, I imagine it's not easy to go down to your local coin shop and get you some gold and silver if you wanted to do such. And so here it's a scramble. It's not really, you know, you can't really source it as easy. And so the ratio is one to, to one twenty one to one. You know, so gold and silver right now, spot price and the market price or the ability to get in your hand price is a big distortion. Will that will, does that matter at this point? Anybody? <laughs> I'm sorry. Go, go ahead, John. I'm just responding to somebody well, talking me something. Right. I mean, as far as gold is concerned, it's uh, it's a safe haven during these times. And unfortunately, it's going to be a bubble as well, because if everyone runs into a safe haven of gold and silver, you get that bubble. And you can't, as everyone says, at the end of the day, eat gold, wear gold, do anything with gold other than hope that it holds value. And something was said earlier, and I would think that over the longer term, it would be much more promising to be looking at equities now and looking at companies with good records uh, and companies that are going to pay dividends because you can at least earn an income from those dividends. You can't earn an income from gold and gold probably at uh, the prices that we're going to see over the next few weeks will uh, turn down again. So I wouldn't be advising necessarily to go in there, um, wouldn't be advising to go into cryptocurrencies, wouldn't be advising to go into Bitcoin. Uh, the only things one can really look to is real things, uh, and they've got to be um, ownership of assets of one sort or another that uh, are likely to derive you incomes into the future rather than just going for capital gains. Mm, interesting. Now, for me, my personal opinion is that, like, as this thing blows. In, as we get into the midst of it and come out on the other side, I think gold and cryptos, if especially because of what's going to happen in the central bank realm, all that currency will be absorbed into tangible assets, including gold, real estate, art. That's all going to be reflected in the price at the very end of this. And I believe that gold is like always will be something that will be a wealth preservation tool to get you through the other side. Now, whatever currency the issue is at that point, you'll probably have to get out into that next currency. But I think you'll have something to get into as opposed to not having anything. And then as far as those companies are concerned, unless you're knowledgeable and, and actually know what you're shopping for, uh, you know, it's one of the things where majority of the population don't know anything about actively investing. They're all passive and just let somebody else do it for them. So I think gold is just a safe play because it's not going anywhere. It's, it's going to be around. And I think it's going to be reflective of the price after all this blows through personally. Yeah, so um, gold is gold is five thousand year old money, and it's it's base money. It will always be money. It's kind of I think it's in our DNA, um, and so uh, I, I differ with the professor's view on it. Um, it doesn't earn any interest, but it shouldn't. It's 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 the it's the superior defensible medium of exchange. Uh, it has been for a long time. So, uh, and I don't think it's ever a bad time to buy it. Uh, could it go a little bit lower? Sure. I mean, it's gone, it's kind of flat on the year and it's down maybe 10%, 12% from its high or a little earlier this year. And that's all because the world's faced a global margin call and it's very liquid. Um, but you, you said, know, yeah, yourself, because you said medium of exchange and that's what gold isn't. It's no, certainly an investment. But you, may, you, you, you referred to it as a medium of exchange and you can't use gold as a medium of exchange, can you? Because 
its value is changing, you want to hold on to it. Uh, you don't want to use it uh, uh, in terms of buying things. Well, no, that's either whether you're saving, that's your time preference, whether you're saving or whether you're disinvesting. I mean, you know, and, and obviously, you know, carrying around gold coins isn't practical, but if you had a currency that's exchangeable into a gold coin, then you effectively, your, 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 your currency, which is the paper that you hand to somebody is, is the medium of exchange. Um, you know, what's that? You're talking, you're talking about a gold standard. You're not talking about, uh, uh, people themselves exactly obviously i mean it's uh, yeah i mean it's impractical to carry to, to deal in gold coins um yeah with respect to the crypto i i believe that bitcoin is actually in many ways superior to gold because it's early in its days it's more volatile and that's the only negative i see with it, that and the technical risk but given that it's about bitcoin is the only one i'm talking about now given that it's about 11 years old and uh it's um it's been immutable during that entire time um, I own a bunch of Bitcoin and I, I think it will become much more valuable in the future. So, um, you know, the, the notion, I mean, the belief I strongly hold is that society functions best when it has sound money. You know, it's honest weights and measures. I mean, you can't be, you can't have, you know, a yardstick, you know, you can't be building a house and have the foot or a yardstick changing all the time. You got to have something that, that's a constant. All right. And, one, uh, one second, now, Lawrence, one second. We, we do have a call. Let's see if we get a call in and then we'll get ready to dial back. Okay, I'm going to run out of time here in about six or seven minutes. No problem. We'll, we'll dial back before then. Hello, caller. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, Mike. It's Dan from Vancouver, Washington. How's it going? I'm doing good, Dan. What, what's your question or thought you want to share with us? So, yeah, I just wanted to comment on the uh, the gold conversation you guys are having, um, especially about the comment of gold going into a bubble. Um, I think that that's a little... Well, I think the timeline for that is going to be very long. I think that the traditional portfolio of 60-40 is coming to an end as we see stocks and bonds continue to sell off simultaneously. And as people realize they cannot run to treasuries or any government bond, for that matter, for safety, I think they're going to go back to where they always go. And I think the same is true for any commodity, and that we probably will head into commodity bubbles. But I think that that bull run in commodities will last for a decade or more. And even if gold moonshots and goes into a hyper bubble, I mean, even if you sell it, you're not going to make a bunch of money because of capital gains. I mean, the whole point of gold is just to preserve what you already have. It's not to make a killing or anything like that. I don't know what the laws are in UK, but here in the United States, you know, you pay an extra tax on gold. It's not just capital gains. It's a collector's coin tax and all these things. So if anyone out there is buying gold, hoping they're going to just you know, they're 100% gold, hoping they're going to sell it and become rich. I think that that's a, that's a very poor view, and you're probably going to get hurt. Yeah. But um, definitely, uh, I expect there to be a return of, uh, you know, the ratio, the Dow to gold ratio. I think that's going to get closer and closer to one, two, or three. And uh, whether that's gold going to 10,000 and the Dow going to 10,000 or some other numbers, but um, I think that precious metals are going to, at least the U.S. dollar and all other currencies are going to be devalued against gold at some point again in the future. I doubt there will ever be a gold standard. But we're either going total dystopia, where the governments have digital cryptocurrencies and we're all screwed with negative rates for the next 10 years, or they are going to devalue currencies against gold again, like they have always, always done in the past. Yeah. They always do that. And that just seems like... That's what's coming. So, all right. Well, thanks, thank for, uh, thanks for the show, guys. I appreciate it. Appreciate you for sharing your insights. Thank you, my friend. So, yeah, so not, not much of a question, but it's some insight to, to add along with it. So, 
Um, but we're approaching a 50 minute mark. So I want to be respectful of everybody's time. And so, uh, gentlemen, I want to just dial back any last thoughts to leave us with. I definitely enjoyed hearing from you two and learning myself. And I'm sure the viewers did as well. Wish we could have took more calls, but maybe next time. So any last thoughts, gentlemen, before we sign off for today? A quick one for me. I wish central banks would actually stabilize currencies. They can do it. Uh, and if they stabilize currencies and if they let interest rates alone, don't, don't manipulate interest rates, just stabilize currencies. And that means supplying a quantity which grows just a little bit faster than the rate of growth of output. And then governments step back, balance your budgets uh, and uh, the economy will fly. But we just rely too much on governments doing things they can't do. Yeah, good point. I would just say on gold that it, it, you know, it could get overvalued relative to a sound currency. It, by definition, can't get overvalued relative to an unsound currency. And really, gold isn't going up in value. What's happening is the dollar is collapsing in value. A gold, gold is just a, it's just an ounce is an ounce. Um, and so the issue is, what's the base money numeraire that the world is going to use? uh in which to you know construct the system and for hundreds of years and during the period when some of the greatest increases in overall well-being and and human uh lifestyle occurred we were on gold standard you know the the 1700s the 1800s the 1900s um we kind of slipped off of it a little bit in the 30s uh when we kind of and, and with Bretton woods when we went to a dollar which was theoretically gold back standard and then we completely kicked it out in 71 when nixon told the French that they couldn't have their gold. So, um, you know, to me, gold is and always will be base money. Um, you know, you don't buy it to make a lot of money, but in dollar terms, if you buy it today, I think you're going to make a lot of dollars um, because I think the dollar is going to collapse. I, I think the system is designed such that a, a, a complete and total collapse of the dollar is a virtual certainty within, you know, two or three years at the most. And I actually probably think it might happen this year. That's my, that's my view. Yeah. All right, gentlemen, well, thank you once again for taking time out of your days to join us here on RTD. And definitely the show is called Rethinking a Dollar because I believe everyone is rethinking a lot of things right now. And definitely gold can be a uh, a great uh, mechanism to get you through. And then on the other side, we worry about, you know, what happens on the other side. But John Hearn, I appreciate you for taking time to join us from the UK and Lawrence uh, from the northeastern atmosphere of the U.S. Thanks for your guys joining us. If you enjoy this, definitely give us a thumb up, share this video, and visit all these gentlemen. I'll put their Twitter information beneath here so you can follow their work and connect with them via Twitter. So other than that, gentlemen, enjoy the rest of your day and look forward to talking to you guys soon. Hey, Mike, thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it. John, very nice to meet you. Thanks for your comments. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right.